Salutations. I am Kenneth Barrios, leadership coach and owner of Key Bravo Leadership Development with the mission of unleashing your talents and maximizing your impact without compromising your time. Welcome to our 16th Law Success series, where I read out loud about 20 to 30 minutes of this great tone for your audio pleasure. This book is the foundation of which all other personal and professional development is based, written by Napoleon Hill in 1928. I am now using this as public domain book as my foundation to success, and I want to bring you along for the journey. So please enjoy, and your feedback is always welcome. With gratitude, thank you. The Law of Success, Lesson 3, Self-Confidence. Quote, you can do it if you believe you can. Quote, before approaching the fundamental principle upon which this lesson is founded, it will be a benefit to you to keep in mind the fact that it is practical, that it brings you the discoveries of more than 25 years of research, that it has the approval of the leading scientific men and women of the world who have tested every principle involved. Skepticism is the deadly enemy of progress and self-development. You might as well lay this book aside, stop right here, as to approach this lesson with the feeling that it was written by some long-haired theorist who had never tested the principles upon which this lesson is based. Surely, this is no age for the skeptic, because it is the age in which we have seen more of nature's laws uncovered and harnessed than had been discovered in all past history of the human race. Within the three decades we have witnessed the mastery of the air, we have explored the ocean, we have all but annihilated distance on the earth, we have harnessed the lightning and made it turn the wheels of industry. We have made seven blades of grass grow where but one grew before. We have instantaneous communication between the nations of the world. Truly, this is an age of illumination and unfoldment. But we have as yet barely scratched the surface of knowledge. However, when we shall have unlocked the gate that leads to the secret power which is stored up within us, it will bring us knowledge that will make all past discoveries pale into oblivion by comparison. Thought is the most highly organized form of energy known to man, and this is an age of experimentation and research that is sure to bring us into great understanding of the mysterious force called thought, which, repur- which reposes within us. We have already found out enough about the human mind to know that a man may throw off the accumulated effects of thousand generations of fear through the aid of the principle of autosuggestion. We have already discovered the fact that fear is the chief reason of, for poverty and failure and misery that takes on a thousand different forms. We have already discovered the fact that man who masters fear may march on to successful achievement in practically any undertaking despite all efforts to defeat him. The development of self-confidence starts with the elimination of this demon called fear, which sits upon a man's shoulder and whispers into his ear, quote, you can't do it. You are afraid to try. You are afraid of a public opinion. You are afraid that you will fail. You are afraid you will not have the ability. End quote. This fear demon is getting into close quarters. Science has found a deadly weapon with which to put it to flight. And this lesson on self-confidence has brought you this weapon for use in battle with the world, with the world old demon of progress, fear. The six basic fears of mankind. Every person falls heir to the influence of six basic fears. Under these six fears may be listed the lesser fears. The six basic or major fears are here enumerated and sources from which they are believed to have grown are described. 
The six basic fears are A. The fear of poverty B. The fear of old age C. The fear of criticism D. The fear of loss of a love of someone E. The fear of ill health F. The fear of death Study the list, then take inventory of your own fears and ascertain under which of the six headings you can classify them. Every human being who has reached the age of understanding is bound down, to some extent, by one or more of these six basic fears. As the first step in the elimination of these six evils, let us examine the sources from which hence we inherited them. Physical and Social Hereditary All that man is, both physically and mentally, he came by through two forms of hereditary heredity. One is a physical heredity, and the other is called a social heredity. Through the law of physical heredity, man has slowly evolved from the amoeba, a single-celled animal form, through stages of development corresponding to all the known animal forms now on this earth, including those which are to have existed but are now extinct. Every generation through which man has passed has added to his nature something of the traits, habits, and physical appearances of that generation. Man's physical inheritance, therefore, is a heterogeneous collection of, of many habits and physical forms. There seems little, if any, doubt that while the six basic fears of man could not have been inherited through physical heredity, these basic fears, being mental states of the mind, therefore not capable of transmission through physical heredity, it is obvious that through physical heredity, a most favorable lodging place of these six fears has been provided. For example, it is a well-known fact that the whole process of physical evolution is based upon death, destruction, pain, and cruelty, that the elements of the soil of the earth found transportation and their upward climb through evolution based upon the death of one form of life in order that another and higher form may subsist. All vegetation lives by eating, quoted, the elements of the soil and the elements of the air. All forms of animal life live by, quote, eating, quote, some other and weaker form or some form of vegetation. The cells of all vegetation have a very high order of intelligence. The cells of all animal life, likewise, have a very high order of intelligence. Undoubtedly, the animal cells of a fish have learned, out of bitter experience, that the group of animal cells known as a fish hawk are to be greatly feared. By reason of the fact that many animal forms, including that of most men, live by eating the smaller and weaker animals, the, quote, cell intelligence, quote, of these animals, which enter into and become part of man's brings with it the fear growing out of their experience in having been eating alive. This theory may seem to be far-fetched, and in fact, it may not be true, but it is at least a logical theory if it is nothing more. The author makes no particular point of this theory, nor does he insist that it accounts for any of the six basic fears. There is another and much better explanation of the source of these fears, which we'll proceed to examine, beginning with a description of social hereditary. By far the most important part of man's makeup comes to him through a law of social heredity, the term having reference to the methods by which one generation imposes upon the minds of the generation under its immediate control the superstitions, beliefs, legends, ideas which it, in turn, inherited from the generations preceding. The term social heredity, quote, should be understood to mean any and all sources through which a person acquires knowledge, such as schooling of religious and other natural means, reading, word-of-mouth conversation, storytelling, 
and all manner of thought inspiration coming from what is generally accepted as one's, quote, personal experiences, quote. Through the operation of the law of the social heredity, anyone having control of the mind of a child may, through intense teaching, plant in that child's mind any idea which, false or true, is in such a manner that a child accepts it as true and it becomes as much a part of the child's personality as any cell or organ in, it, in its physical body and just as hard to change in its nature. It is through the law of social heredity that the religionist plants in the child mind dogmas and creeds and religious ceremonies too numerous to describe, holding those ideas before that mind until the mind accepts them and forever seals them as part of its irrevocable belief. The mind of a child which has not come into the age of general understanding during an average period covering, let's us say, the first two years of its life is plastic, open, clean, and free. Any idea planted in such a mind by one in whom the child has confidence takes root and grows, so to speak, in such a manner that it can never be eradicated or wiped out. No matter how opposed to logic or reason the idea may be, many religionists claim that they can so deeply implant the tenets of their religion in the mind of a child that there never can be room in the mind for any other religion, either in whole or in part. The claims are not generally overdrawn. With this explanation of the manner in which the law of her social heredity operates, the student will be ready to examine the sources from which man inherits the six basic fears. Moreover, any student, except those who have not yet grown big enough to examine the truth that accepts upon the, quote, pet corns, quote, of their own superstitions, may check the soundness of the principle of social heredity as it is here applied, to the six basic fears without going outside of his or her own personal experiences. Break, break. I would like to have a quick word from our sponsor. Thank you for your time. Let's get back to the reading. Fortunately, practically the entire mass of evidence submitted in this lesson is of such a nature that all who sincerely seek the truth may ascertain for themselves whether the evidence is sound or not. For the moment at least, lay aside your prejudices and preconceived ideas. You know, may always go back and pick them up again. While we study the origin of nature, a man's six worst enemies, the six basic fears beginning with the fear of poverty. It requires courage to tell the truth about the origin of the sphere, and still greater courage perhaps to accept the truth after it has been told. The fear of poverty grew out of man's inherited Tendency to prey upon his fellow man economically. Nearly all forms of lower animal have instinct, but appear not to have the power to reason and think. Therefore, they prey upon one another physically. Man, with his superior sense of intuition, thought, and reason, does not eat his fellow men bodily. He gets more satisfaction out of eating them financially. Of all the ages of the world of which we know anything, the age in which we live seems to be the age of money worship. A man is considered less than the dust on the earth unless he can display a fat bank account. Nothing brings a man so much suffering and humiliation as does poverty. No wonder man fears poverty. Through a long line of inherited experiences with the man-animal, man has learned for certain that his animal cannot always be trusted, and where matters of money and other evidences of earthly possessions are concerned. Many marriages have their beginnings and oftentimes their ending solely on the basis of their wealth possessed by one or both of the contracting parties. 
It is no wonder that the divorce courts are busy. Society quoted could quite properly be be spelled society quoted with a dollar sign for the S because it is inseparably associated with the dollar mark. So eager is man to possess wealth that he will acquire it in whatever manner he can, through legal methods if possible, through other methods if necessary. The fear of poverty is a terrible thing. A man may commit murder, engage in robbery, rape, and all other manner of violation of the rights of others, and still regain a high station in the minds of his fellow men, providing always that he does not lose his wealth. Poverty, therefore, is a crime, an unforgivable sin, as it were. No wonder man fears it. Every statute book in the world bears evidence that the fear of poverty is one of the six basic fears of mankind. For in every such book of laws may be found various and sundry laws intended to protect the weak from the strong. To spend time trying to prove either that the fear of poverty is one of man's inherited fears, or this fear has its origin in man's nature to cheat his fellow man, would be similar to trying to prove that three times two are six. Obviously, no man would fear ever fear poverty if he had any grounds for trusting his fellow man. For there is food and shelter and remnant of luxury of every nature sufficient for the needs of every person on earth, and all these blessings would be enjoyed by every person except for the swinish habit that man has of trying to push all the other, quote, swine out of the trough, even after he has all and more than he needs. The second of the six basic fears of which man is bound is the fear of old age. In the, in the main, this fear grows out of two sources. First, the thought that old age may bring with it poverty. Secondly, and by far the most common source of origin from false and cruel sectarian teachings which have been so well mixed with the quote fire and brimstone quote and with the quote purgatories and other boogies of human beings have learned to fear old age because it meant the ho- approach of another possible more horrible world than this one is known to be bad enough in the basic fear of old age, man has two very sound reasons for his apprehension. The one growing out of the distrust of his fellow men who may seize whatever worldly goods he may possess, and other arising from the terrible pictures of the world to come which are deeply planted in the mind through the law of social hereditary, long before came into the possession of that mind. It is any wonder that man fears the approach of old age. The third of the six basic fears is the fear of criticism. Just how man acquired this basic fear would be hard, if not impossible, definitely to determine. But one thing is certain, he he has it in well-developed form. Some believe that this fear made its appearance in the mind of men about the time the politics came into existence. Others believe that the source can be traced no further than the first meeting of an organization of females known as the, quote, Women's Club. Still, another school of humorists charges that the origin contents of the Holy Bible, whose pages abound with some very vitriolic and violent forms of criticism. If the latter claim is correct, those who believe literally all they find in the Bible are not mistaken, then God is responsible for man's inherent fear of criticism, because God caused the Bible to be written. This author, being neither humorist nor a prophet, quoted, but just an ordinary workaday type of person, is inclined to attribute the basic fear of criticism to the part of man's inherited nature which prompts him not only to take away his fellow man's goods and wares, but to justify his action by criticism of 
his fellow man's character. The fear of criticism takes on many different forms, the majority of which are petty and trivial in nature, even in the extent of being childish in the extreme. Ball-headed men, for example, are bald for no other reason than they fear of criticism. Heads have become bald because of the protection of hats with tight-fitted bands which cut off circulation at the roots of the hair. Men wear hats, not because they actually need them for the sake of comfort, but mainly because, quote, everybody's doing it, quote. And the individual falls in line and does it so. Least some other individualized criticize him. Women seldom have bald heads or even thin hair because they wear hats that are loose, and the only purpose of which is to make an appearance. But it must not be imagined that a woman are free from their fear of criticism associated with hats. It and any woman claims to be superior to a man with reference to his fear, ask her to walk down the street wearing a hat that is one two seasons out of style. The makers of all manners of clothing have not been slow to capitalize this basic fear of criticism with which all mankind is cursed. Every season it will be observed the quote styles and many articles of wearing apparel changes. Who establishes the quote styles? Certainly not the purchaser of the clothes, but the manufacturer of the clothes. And why does he change the style so often? Obviously, this change is made so that the manufacturer can sell more clothes. For the same reason, the manufacturers of the automobiles, which are few, rare, and more very sensible exceptions, changes styles every season. The manufacturer of clothing knows how the man-animal fears to wear a garment which is one season at a step with a, quote, that which they are all wearing now, quote. Is this not true? Does not your own experience back it up? We have been describing the manner which people have under the influence of the fear of criticism has applied to the small and petty things of life. Let us now examine human behavior under this fear when it affects people in connection with the more important matters connected with human intercourse. Take, for example, practically any person who has reached the age of, quote, mental maturity, quote, from 35 to 45 years of age as a general average, and you could read his or her mind, you would find in that mind a very decided disbelief of any of a rebellion against most of the fables thought, taught by the majority of the religionists. Powerful and mighty is the fear of criticism. The time had, was not so very long ago at that when the word infidel, quoted, meant ruin to whom, whomsoever it was applied. It is seen, therefore, that man's fear of criticism is not without ample cause for its existence. The fourth basic fear is that of the fear of loss of some of love of someone. The source from which this fear originated needs but little description, for it is obvious that it grew out of a man's nature to steal his fellow man's mate, or at least to take the liberties with her, unknown to her rightful lord and master. By nature of all men are polygamous. The statement of a truth which will, of course, bring denials from those who are either too old to function in a normal way sexually, or have some other cause lost the contents of certain glands which are responsible for man's tendency towards the plurality of the opposite sex. There can be but very little doubt that jealousy and all other forms of more or less mild dementia insanity grew out of man's inherited fear of the loss of, of love of someone. 
of all the sane fools quoted, studied by this author, that represented by a man who has become jealous of some woman, or that of a woman who has become jealous of some man, is the oddest and the strangest. The author, fortunately, never had but one case of personal experience with this form of insanity, but from that experience he learned enough to justify him in stating that the fear of the loss of love of someone is one of the most painful, if not in fact the most painful, of all the six basic fears. And it is seems reasonable to add that the fear plays more havoc with the human mind than do any of the other six basic fears, often leading to more violent forms of permanent insanity. Thank you for your time today. I hope you learned as much as I did in this reading. If you ever desire to connect with me, you can email me at kb at keybravo.com. That is kb at keybravo.com. Have a wonderful day, and may you be blessed with all the success you endeavor.